Alyssa, have you ever met someone for the first time and then yes. and then <laughs> and then spent six hours with them hanging out uh, the same you know, day? It's it's very rare that it happens, but maybe once or twice in my life. You know, I think that even the first time we met in person, which was, I believe, at a TCU football game. Might have been a baseball game. It might have been a baseball game. I think I met you in Phelps the same day. That's right. It was a baseball game, and I don't even think we spent six hours. Oh, definitely not. No, never, never would. Never would. Yeah. No, of course not. I suck. But anyways. <laughs> I meant me, uh, but it's fine. Uh, okay. Well, agree to disagree on that one. This is the Frogs War Podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Troopwasser. And we are one day away. By the time you're listening to this, it is the day of TCU fall camp kicking off. Amazing time. What a time to be alive. We're finally back in football season. What's your what's your gut feeling, Melissa, as we enter into the 2021-22 football season? Well, you know, as one is is liable to do in August, as we went from May to where, you know, I thought we would probably not win a single game to uh, June, where I started to think, oh, this is a team that can finish 500. And by the time August rolls around, I'm fairly certain we're going 11 and one, winning the Big 12 championship and playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. So everybody's undefeated right now. And, and to me, that means uh, that, that TC is going all the way. Sweet. I'm in. I'm here for it. Uh, I approve of a TCU national championship. Yeah. This year. Yeah. I fully approve. Uh, Big 12 champion, national champion TCU, followed up maybe by Pac-12 champion, <laughs> national champion TCU. Sure. Okay. Because, Not you know, well. the, Bob Bowlesby and uh, our beloved Big 12, embattled is probably the better word, our embattled Big yeah. 12 commissioner, commissioner Bob Bowlesby and the Pac-12 Commissioner George K. I still can't say his last name. You'll learn it um, when you need to. Uh, yep, I sure will. Uh, but he and Bob, George and Bob, got together uh, a couple days ago, earlier this week. And they, in fact, upon meeting each other for the first time, spent six hours together talking about their conferences and a potential merger or scheduling alliance. Um, and opportunities to uh, bolster each other's profiles on the national landscape, uh, which I thought was a pretty cool move um, for the two of them to put their heads together and start plotting some things, because it's pretty clear at this point that the Big 12 stands Texas and Oklahoma and the Pac-12 as it currently stands are probably the two weakest Power 5 conferences. The ACC is, is obviously third, um, maybe fourth. But uh, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 aren't in good shape right now. This is true. And what to me is really interesting about this is that when you look at Larry Scott versus George K, um, he's a much more business-minded person. And if you're the Pac-12 and you're the newly instituted Pac-12 commissioner, you need to look at what happened when Texas and Oklahoma decided to shock the world, so to speak, and leave the conference and how quickly that dissolved and realize that your unit could be ripe for the picking next too. And so um, USC has always kind of flirted with independence and, and is a the next most likely candidate behind Notre Dame and BYU to go. And so um, George Klykoff or whatever it is, um, is probably looking at the landscape and saying, I would rather be proactive like the SEC has been than reactive like the Big 12 was when you see it, how that ended up for the Big 12 conference. I mean, I'm. Look, here's the deal. I think that uh, a merger would be great. I wonder about the fit of, say, a West Virginia <laughs> having to travel to Los Angeles probably once a year to play UCLA or, or USC. Um, but I do think there's some validity in having the conversation and at least setting kind of a starting point. I think, really, truly. Uh, at least from from the Big 12's perspective, Bob Bowlesby is doing everything he can to make sure that these eight schools each find an appropriate landing spot for them. I think that's his mm -hmm. job. I think he's, at least for the last eight days or so, nine days, been doing his job really well. 
uh, in the wake of, of all of this breaking news. I think from the Pac-12 standpoint, too, it's really cool to see this first-year commissioner, who's never been a commissioner before uh, in, in college sports, um, really kind of an outsider who's doing this job for the first time, uh, gauging... Uh, the possibility of strengthening his his conference as well. Um, do I think that all eight Big 12 to- teams end up in the Pac-12? No, I think I, ultimately at this point, I think that West Virginia still ends up in the ACC. Uh, based on some reports coming out this week, I think that Kansas might end up in the Big 10 pretty quickly. Um, Iowa State's probably hoping, hoping to hop on that train as well. Um, and then the Pac-12 could feasibly, you know, look at those other six teams or maybe four of those six teams and say, yeah, we can probably make something happen here. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful simply because the conversation is happening. Um, I, I, I find that if I think that if it was just silence, radio silence on on the Big 12's end at this point, that I would be much more concerned about the future of TCU football. I mean, I still feel pretty concerned because you have to, like, I think that it makes sense logically, but we still have to look at how much of a value add are these schools. And I know that that everybody assumes that West Virginia is a great fit in the ACC because of location and that, um, you know, that uh, Kansas and Iowa State have the AAU designation that makes them a fit in the Big Ten. But is the Big Ten motivated to, to expand right now? And if they do, do they really want to take on Kansas football? Um, I mean, I think I, I was reading something and it might have been The Athletic that said that 80% of these TV deals come from football. And that means that less than 20% come from basketball when you figure all the other sports. And so is Kansas basketball really enough of a lure, especially when they've been, I mean, not average by any stretch of the imagination, but not super elite the last handful of years. And they're still in the middle of an investigation. Um, is there any reason for the Big Ten to make a move right now when they could decide at any point in the next probably four years that they want Kansas and Iowa State? I just I don't legitimately see them expanding. And I don't know that the I, I still stand by. I don't think that the C is going to be the reason why TCU doesn't get into the Pac-12. I just don't. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if they decide that they're in a hurry to make this move now or if they're content to stand pat and see what the Big 12 does and then react to that. Um I hope. I think the Pac-12 makes a ton of sense. Um, I think that the adding a Texas footprint could make a lot of sense for the Pac-12 too. Um, but I still think the most likely scenario is the Big 12 grasps and claws at whatever they can find over the next three years, takes a big fat buyout from Texas and OU and floats along until everything gets shaken up again in four years anyways. Yeah. I, th- I mean, none of this is going to happen quickly. We, we kind of get that feeling at this point. Um, and I do believe ultimately that Bob Bowlesby is going to hold his cards as close to his chest as he can. And I think uh, the relationship between the PAC 12 and the big 12 right now is an unequal footing. Kind of like you suggested, like the PAC 12 is definitely in a power position here to either do something or not. Uh, And so we're really at their mercy at this point. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out Uh, because we really, I, I think we're, we're at least maybe a year away from, fully understanding what the result of all of this is going to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's it. There's not, we're not going to have any answers this season. And I think that the thing that we know is that if there's any possible way for Texas and OU to dip out early that they're going to, and I don't think they're too worried about what it's going to cost them to do so. So um, if you were to tell me that Texas and Oklahoma won't be playing in the big 12 next season, but that all the other eight teams would, wouldn't surprise me one bit. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I don't think I'd be surprised by anything at this point. Yeah, really, that's also truly. true. Really, truly. Uh, but you know what I am surprised about? Actually, what I'm not surprised about either also. Man, that segue sucked. I've, I'm still out of shape when it comes to podcasting, Melissa. Uh, it but, is what I, but what I am uh, excited about, at least, at the very least, is the fact that TCU does start its fall camp tomorrow. Uh, AKA Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, if you're listening to this on Friday, there's some context. We are, as usual, recording this on Wednesday, middle of the week. But TCU's offense was not great in 2020. Uh, A lot of people had a lot of things to write and say. We had a lot of things to write and say about TCU's offense last year. I don't want to rehash all of that to get into what we're going to do next. But it is worth noting that TCU brings back a 
third-year starter at quarterback. They bring in a new old face as their offensive coordinator. A couple guys on the offensive side of the ball, as far as coaches go, have been promoted. Kenny Hill is now quarterback's coach, for instance. Um, And so it feels like there have been some things shifting and changing on the offensive side of the ball for TCU leading into this fall camp, while there's also been a level of stability that we really haven't seen for the last couple of years. It's kind of a weird space that the TCU offense is in. Uh, And so today, what we're going to do, friendly listeners, is we're going to take a look position by position at TCU's offense and kind of just go through... um, and take a look at what every what uh, every position group kind of has to offer. And we're going to start with quarterbacks with the dude, Max Duggan, the number one guy, uh, looking to improve. And we talked about this a little bit last week. At Big 12 Media Days, he named that he knows his reputation of, a, of, of about being a substandard passer, a below average passer of the football. Uh, and so he's gotten in the gym. He's been working on that a lot. Um, and really, truly... Uh, it is interesting to um, <clears throat> be in this position because I don't think TCU has had a starting quarterback enter their third year of play, correct me if I'm wrong, since Trevon Boykin. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and so this is really an opportunity, I think, for the Frogs to to take a step forward offensively because Boykin's first two years at QB were a struggle. Obviously, there was a huge coordinator change before his third uh, off season, a transfer came in from Texas A&M that kind of lit a fire under him as far as depth chart and fighting for that top spot went. Um, there are a couple kind of uh, parallels between the 2014 off season and the 2021 off season for TCU's offense as, as far as quarterback and, and offensive coordinator go. What do you think? I think that, you know, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but the, at the end of the day, like, the excuses are out. And so you can look at the parallels heading into the 2014 season. Um, the talent is greater on paper. Um, of course, nobody thought Josh Jackson was who Josh Jackson is, you know, like at that point either. Um, but the, the, if Max has been doing all of the right things, he's had the time to practice. He's had the effective off season. So it very much becomes a put up or shut up kind of a season for him. So um, the pieces are in place. The talent is there. Uh, as long as the offensive line, which we'll get to in a little bit holds up. Um, there's really no reason why he can't have maybe not a 2014 level offensive season because he's as dynamic as he is. He's, he's not quite as dynamic probably as Boykin, but He's got a deeper wide receiver pool around him. Um, Aaron Green was a great running back, but but Zach Evans is an, an elite, potentially elite running back. Even though he's really bad in NCAA 14, if you update Oof. the roster, it's, it's rough. Not great. It's rough, right? Yeah. Um, but that's okay. We're going to get an update soon, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think that there's reason to have that comparison and to make that and to have that hope that that this could end up being a really great thing for the TCU offense. Um, but it's you know, it's, it's, we're not going to know against Duquesne. We might start to see when uh, Cal comes to town, but I think if they can keep pace and, and outscore SMU, then, then you can start getting excited about what this, this TCU offense can do in 2021. Yeah. It's, it's not like we really ease into the season too much besides, you know, the, the first overall matchup here, yeah. but really, truly uh, I think that uh, if, if we're going to see um, this, offense elevated it's gonna have to happen week one um yeah you know it it's we are beyond the point where we should go into a halftime against a division two or a a lower tier opponent 21 to nothing yeah um i know that patterson likes to hit the brakes likes to play it slow likes to not embarrass people and that's really really classy and good um, but I want to see this offense from the start, led by Max Duggan, come out on fire and just from the get-go, you know that you're not going to catch this offense. That yeah. TCU's defense is going to lock you down and the offense is going to run away with this football game. I want, in other words, Melissa, to be confident in a lead. And I yeah, want the leads well, to happen early. You're, you're asking for a lot, JB. It's um, true. I, you know, I, I think that... You know, when you think back to that harbinger of we knew we had something special when we played Minnesota, 
um, you know, I, I don't remember who we opened. Was it Grambling? No, it wasn't Grambling. That was 2012. Um, we opened up with, it uh, might have been Minnesota, might have been the first game, but we, we put up like 30 points before we had batted an eye. And that's when everyone kind of went, oh, mm-hmm. we might be okay. And I, I still don't, because it's Gary Patterson and it's game one, I don't expect to do really bad things to Duquesne. But if, the, if TCU can come out to against Cal, uh, a good but not great uh, Power 5 team and put up 30 points in the first half and hold them to a score and go into halftime knowing that your starters are not going to have to play in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. I, I'd feel really, really good about the same TCU offense. Uh, it's the same thing with Duquesne. We can't, Max Duggan cannot play in the second half. Like that needs to be the goal. That needs to be the goal. And um, that's going to mean putting up 30 first half points minimum in order to feel really good about what happens in half number two. Absolutely. You've, you've got to set a tone early, you know, and I think that a, a few times last year, uh, we're not going to rehash too much of 2020, but a few times last year, it just felt like from the jump, TCU's offense wasn't going to do anything that day. West, yeah. The West Virginia game is the one that comes to mind for me where they were held without a touchdown for the first time in like God knows when. Yeah. Um, lost that game like 24 to 6. And even though the defense played pretty well uh, and some turnovers put them in bad positions, but the offense just, you just knew from the start, like, oh, this, this game's going nowhere. Um, I think that. Duggan can be the driving force behind a different mentality in 2021. Um, Knowing that he's got the weapons at wide receiver and running back that he does and hoping for a little bit more consistency along the offensive line. I think that his confidence can emanate out to everyone else and really just be a boon for this offense this year. Yeah, and it, it has to because mm-hmm. he is the unquestioned leader of this team, and we keep hearing about how great the chemistry is and how much everybody likes each other, and that's all well and good, but um, it's still a really young team around him when you talk about vocal guys. Um, your most talented guys on paper are still some of your younger guys, and um, while we hope that Tay Barber and Darius Davis and J.D. Spielman will take up some of that leadership responsibility, uh, this team is going to follow Max. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be up to him to, and he seems like he wants the burden. Like he's, he's asking for that, that role. Um, and he knows that he needs to have it. Um, that he's got to be the guy if this team is going to go where they're going to go. So um, I think he's, I think he's the right guy. I think he's got the right attitude. Um, I think he can be super um, effective, both on the field and in the locker room. He's got the makeup for it. Um, but, you know, like we said, he's, he's got to go and do it now. Like it's mm-hmm. great to talk about it, but um, and, until we see him, you know, rip off four straight wins when you open the season with four straight home games, I, I think that that's kind of where we'll start to make those uh, those turn those hopes into uh, actual dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's put up or shut up time, I think, for Max Duggan in 2021. Absolutely. He does have a little bit of depth behind him now with Chandler Morris having transferred in from Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, a guy like Chandler only helps yeah. uh, not just necessarily on the offensive side of the football, but maybe defensively against Oklahoma as well. He's got some wisdom to impart to, to coach P as well about, Hey, here's some things that, that Lincoln yeah. likes to do. Um, you know, uh, obviously Oklahoma being the front runner in the conference again this year, but Max is the dude. He's been the dude for a couple years now, and now it's time for the dude to act like it, which I'm really, really looking forward to. But he's going to have a lot of talent around him. He's going to be able to throw the ball to quite a few different players. Uh, This gives Doug Meacham, I think, a ton of opportunity to really get creative with where the ball goes once it leaves Max Duggan's hands. Um, Because you're talking about a wide receiver core of Quentin Johnson, who... Uh, you know, as a freshman last year, I believe, hang on one second. Uh, yeah, led the team in receiving, and it, it wasn't even close with 487 mm-hmm. yards. Uh, also, and, and uh, bad touchdowns. number. That's that a bad number. number. So bad. That's yeah. a bad number. I mean, it's just indicative of how bad the, the TCU offense was in the passing game last year, which yeah. is, is not a surprise to anybody who watched any TCU football last year at all. Sure. Um, so, Quentin Johnson, wide receiver number one. Pretty obviously, I think, coming into the season. The guy averaged almost nine yards after the catch last year, which is wild for a guy who's mainly an outside wide receiver and a deep threat. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Meacham uses him this year. Obviously, you've got Tay Barber and Darius Davis both coming back. Uh, very solid older guys in that wide receiver room. Uh, you've got J.D. Spielman as well. Um, but you've also got a freshman who is coming in uh, and is making waves in Quincy Brown. 
and I want TCU fans to know his name now because there's been a lot of buzz about Quincy Brown being the fastest wide receiver on the team. And when you pair absolutely insane blazing speed with an all-around incredible wide receiver number one like you have in Quentin Johnson, those two threats, as separate and distinct as they are, really is what starts to make opposing defenses ask questions about who do we double, who are we focusing on, who are we trying to stop in this offense. If you have a Quincy Brown and a Quentin Johnson both playing um, at the top of their game and really being kind of a dualistic threat at wide receiver, uh, that's when an offense can really start to transform. And that's not to say that like Tay Barber and Darius Davis aren't um, fast or good or whatever it might be. That's, you know, Savion Williams is another name to talk about too. Yeah. Um, but it's really starting to feel like there's some depth of wide receiver that could actually do some damage in the passing game. Should Max be able to get them the ball? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the, your leading wide receiver who is a you know freshman all-american or close to it can't lead the team with 400 something yards and two touchdowns like that that can't be the direction that tcu goes um you need to have a dominant wide receiver and then you need to have a lot of other guys that can be effective in the passing game and so um it'll be really interesting to see um what doug meacham draws up as far as the philosophy i mean i still think this is a team that's going to want to run the ball a lot um but if max has time he's got the weapons and we have a chance to see a really explosive offense that can be not necessarily pass heavy, but a lot more effective and aggressive in the passing game. Uh, you've got deep threats. You've got guys that that can that have good hands and that you've got size on the outside too, on both outsides if you want it. So um, I'm excited to see what Quentin Johnson does in year two. And if teams are able to focus on him like they did late last year when you supposedly have a lot of talent around him, um, I, I'm very anxious to see if he can develop into kind of that elite number one that we all anticipate mm-hmm. him being. Absolutely. You know, this is the, this is the, one of Gary Patterson's favorite phrases is paper tigers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all of this speculation about how deep we are at wide receiver is simply that speculation until they go out on the field and prove it. Um, and I, th- I feel like teams that uh, don't meet expectations year after year after year, always talk about the depth of talent that they have uh, mm-hmm. the following year. And so, I, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing ourselves in that uh, space as we enter 2021 where, you know, this team feels like it's actually loaded down with talent. Now the question is, is it actually loaded down with talent like we sure. think it is? And the wide receiver position group, I think, is exactly that kind of unknown for, for the Horn Frogs coming into 2021. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like you said, it's it's a lot of really, really talented guys, uh, but there's, and there is a lot of experience, but there's a lot of youth too. And so, you know, can Tay Barber kind of regain his sophomore year form um, and be that, that great outlet pass. Can Quentin Johnson take the next step? Does JD Spielman give us some of what we expected him to give us when he came from over from Nebraska before he got injured. So uh, to me, it's, it's the, the most exciting unit as far as the unknown but the potential right like Mm -hmm. really really Mm -hmm. high ceiling but also like super low floor too because we just we just don't know um and and i'm also like uh you remember blair conright Mm -hmm. right like that dude was he was really really good and then we never heard from him ever again Mm -hmm. michael barkley is another one yeah there are, there are all these guys there are a bunch of names that you know tcu has 25 wide receivers on the roster Yeah, you know, obviously, there's some of those are walk-ons, some of those are freshmen that aren't going to see playing time this year. Some of those are development guys that we might see down the road at some point. But th- they have the bodies. Yeah, <laughs> the bodies yeah. are present. Now it's about getting them coached up well, making sure that their talent shows out on the field. Um, and really, truly, with with Doug Meacham back in the fold, I think I think fans have to feel pretty good about it, right? I mean, I think. I think we all hope that Doug Beach and taking over play calling responsibilities will bring a dramatic change to the TCU offense. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but I think we all remember um, during that Louisiana, I think it was Louisiana tech game or something when uh, Jerry kill went down on the sideline and him and Doug were, were having that conversation and they made some small adjustments and all of a sudden the offense completely opened up. Like if we, if that's the starting point, 
then um, yeah, I think there's reason for optimism. I think there's mm-hmm. reason to believe that that Doug can recapture some of that old magic. Um, to believe that Kenny Hill is is a great choice at quarterback coach, and that Malcolm Kelly can get it done as wide receiver coach, and that um, that this will all work together to make TCU uh, at, at a fearful offense for opponents again, something that we haven't really seen since 2017. Absolutely, uh, you know you can't have a passing game unless you set it up with something, uh, Melissa and. True. Shout out to Parker Stats of War. He's going to roll in his grave. And, of course, the thing that sets up the passing game is establishing the run. I'm in possession. Let that sit. Just yeah. let that sit yeah. for a minute. No, uh, but TCU does have incredible talent at the running back position as well. Uh, obviously, top of that list is former five-star recruit Zach Evans, uh, who had a pretty solid freshman year. Uh, as a part of a kind of three-headed running back monster. You know, it was him, it was Darwin Barlow, who's now gone and at USC, um, and fellow freshman Kendra Miller, were the three leading running backs for TCU in 2020. The problem with TCU's running game in 2020, in my opinion, is that none of those three guys were the leading rusher mm-hmm. for TCU in 2020. That was Max Duggan, who had seven uh, sorry 526 rushing yards to Darwin Barlow's 428 Zach Evans, 415, and Kendra Miller's 388. Yeah. And you said this last week. If Max Duggan is the leading rusher for TCU in 2021, we have a problem. Yeah, we're fighting for bowl eligibility again. You stand by that? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I I think that, and again, Gary's never been give one dude the ball 150 times. So people are saying, oh, Zach Evans can be a thousand yard rusher. Uh, I don't remember when the last time we had a thousand yard rusher is. It's been a minute. It might. Yeah. It. I don't think it's as far back as LT. No, no, no. It's no. closer to LT than present day. Yeah, it's probably true. So, but I think, you know, we talked about this last week too. You want to give Zach opportunities. You've got to put the mm-hmm. ball in his hand and let him be elite. And you've got to keep Kendra Miller involved too. Um, Darwin Barlow is off to USC. I totally get it. It makes a ton of sense for him, but your job is to make sure if you are Doug Meacham and, and Brian Applewhite and and the offensive coaching staff to make sure those guys are locked in, that they all understand their role and that you're consistently giving them opportunities to, to be, to be great and to do the things that, that they were recruited to do. So um, I think Zach Evans can be special. I think he's proven that. I think he's shown us glimpses um, and it's, you've got to let the dude be special. So I don't need Max Duggan getting hit at the end of 700 yards worth of rushing, you know, or 500 yards worth of rushing. That doesn't do us any good. Uh, Max needs to use his legs as an outlet, not as his first option. He needs to be able to sit in the pocket. He has to have time to sit in the pocket um, and, and make his reads and then let his running backs carry the weight of, of moving the ball down the field. Um, I am hopeful that he'll have grown and matured and that he'll be more comfortable and that he'll have more time. And so that he won't be looking to run so that when he does make the right read to take off um, that we see kind of what we saw against Texas or against Texas tech, not the, not the running for your life, but the you're worried about other things. And so I'm going to take advantage and pick up 23 yards. Okay. Um, I, like part of me thinks Aaron green, but I don't think he ever had a thousand. No. So, so we have, we, we have to go back to like BJ Catalan maybe before that. Okay. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I can't remember his name, but yeah, now I know who you're talking about. Yep. Yep. Cal Hicks. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And he was, he was hurt too, right? Yeah. Wow. Hicks for six. Yeah. And in my head, I'm seeing Zach Evans with 800 ish yards, maybe between nine and 12 touchdowns. I feel like if that's the season he puts together, then we've probably had a pretty good run. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I want to see Kendra Miller not necessarily as a change of pace, but definitely a different running style. And I still like Amari DeMarcado as kind of that third down back, that guy who knows the offense better than anybody on the field, probably. He's great in pass protection. I think he still has a role. And then hopefully DeMarco Foster at some point is healthy and, and can get back on the field. Um, but but to me, the one-two punch of Zach Evans and Kendra Miller is, is as strong a one-two punch potentially as you're going to find in the Big 12. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited for the uh, B. John Robinson versus Zach Evans versus Brees hall experience um I, I think all three of those teams are or programs are pretty confident they have the best running back in the conference and um it, it'll it'll be fun to kind of watch those those guys square off because you know they're all very very well uh, aware of what each other are doing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah sure Yeah, it's, it's as good a talent as we've probably had going into a season, um, but also zero idea what any of these guys outside of Carter Ware can do um, in, in a game. And, and Spivey obviously has some experience too playing in the SEC, but um, I, I just think that if, if Rodgers and Lott, who they initially thought they were going to move to the offensive line, but he was so good at tight end and spring ball, they're, they're going to leave him there and let him roll with that. Um, if these guys, A, can live up to their billing, but B, if you know, we run an offense that actually wants to utilize the tight end. Um, I think they can be a hugely important part of the offensive puzzle for TCU this year and, and a great uh, target for Max Duggan too. So um, I just, you know, I think there's been a lot of disappointment from the fan base and how the tight ends have been used to have two guys that went to NFL camps and neither one of them really had a, a dominant season from the position. Uh, I would love, I would love to see, you know, one or two of those guys become legitimate threats and, and people that opposing defenses have to pay a little bit closer attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just respect them. Yeah, that's, yeah, and I think, like, there was a time when it felt like you could throw him the ball in the end zone, and he was going to score a touchdown, and then we just stopped using him, and like you said, I think he was banged up, but 
then to not really use him at all this past season when when Max really could have benefited from a six foot five target that only needed to go, you know, run a five yard pattern and fall down and get a first down. Like that would have been, uh, I think that would have been a help to him too. So I don't know if that was a Sonny Cumbie issue and if Doug Meacham is going to be more in tune with um, riding a tight end into his offense. But I mean, we can't, we can go back 20 years and not really name a whole lot of really dynamic tight ends for TCU as far as the statistics that they put up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It would feel appropriate. Yeah. It it has to take a big step forward, right? I mean, we've been we've been singing the same song now for probably the last 4 years and that TC's offensive line has ended the season as a disappointment. And the talent, again, I feel like I'm being repetitive here, but the talent is there. They have recruited the position really, really well. Uh, They've got the size. They've got the ability. You know, they've got the right guys, it looks like, to turn that into a a solid unit. Now they've got to stay on the field together. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got to have five starters that are playing week in and week out to develop that chemistry um, and to to give Max Duggan the confidence to – um, to hang in the pocket and make his reads like we were saying earlier. So um, I think it's it's the area that we need to see the biggest improvement in. I think it's the area that has the, the biggest opportunity to make a significant jump. Mm-hmm. Um, now they just have to stay on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think Patterson even addressed this at Big 12 Media Days. He's confident uh, in kind of three out of the five spots on his line. Steve Avila uh, has proven himself to be a really good center. Um, and he's once again kind of wearing that cape uh, in 2021. I don't think we're going to see too many issues from the center position as long as Avila stays healthy this year. Uh, he is a very good center. Uh, and then, you know, you've got Andrew Coker, who took his lumps in 2021 uh, or in 2020, pardon me, um, but really truly uh, has the talent and the ability to develop and grow. And so we're looking forward to maybe seeing some of that this year. Uh, and then the Memphis transfer, Obina Easy. Uh, yeah. He is going to be um, a big key to how much progress the offensive line makes, I think, this year. Uh, everything that we have seen from him so far is that not only is he a great talent on the field, but he's an incredible human being. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been, no- I can't remember the name of the award, but he's been nominated for kind of a, a leadership and kind of just overall Community. quality yeah. quality human award. We'll call it the, quali- the QHA, the Quality Human Award. Um, for lack of me remembering what it's actually called. Uh, and then you've got some depth at guard that really, if things shake out well, um, you know, you've got 
uh, Wes Harris. You've got John Lands. Um, you've got Austin Myers, who's moving back to, to guard, where he's probably more comfortable this year. Um, so the talent and the depth is there for this line to really put it together. Uh, the reality is is that it doesn't have to be like the number one offensive line in college football for this offense to take a step forward and succeed. They just have to give Max more than two and a half seconds to to make a read and throw the football, um, which was frankly pretty rare last year. And I think that took a huge toll on Max more than anything else. Uh, and that's why we saw inflated rushing numbers from him, especially in the second half of the season, was he was really at in a point mentally, I think, where it was make your first read. You're going to run out of time. If it's not there, you've got to go. Uh, and and I hope that that's not the case for him again this year. I hope that he finds some, some continuity in front of him that he can trust so that he can develop too. I think that was a huge impact on his passing game, especially in 2020, was the lack of continuity on the offensive line. Absolutely, and, and I think you're right. Like These do not need to be the best offensive line in the Big 12. It just has to give him a moment to set his feet, and, and he's going to be a better passer if he has a pocket. He just is like, right. That, that's immediately going to give him a couple of percentage points um, as far as his completion percentage goes. So um, I'm going to be really interested to see if easy can have the impact um, both on the fleet, on the field, but also be another leader, a guy that can kind of, kind of help and assist Max. He's been around for a long time. He's like married, you know, like this is like a grown man, like human being playing offensive line for TCU. So um, very excited to see the impact that he has. Um, it's concerning that we're going into camp and we're still questioning two positions. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a great sign, um, but I think that, that there definitely are guys that can fill um, fill those roles and do so effectively. So it'll be interesting. Uh, we should be hearing from Gary Patterson Thursday afternoon. Be interested to see if anything has changed over the course of the summer. Yeah. Um, and I have a feeling that'll be the number one question on people's minds, you know, after the first week or two at camps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and that's really where the attention should be. Um, those, those points of weakness that we're hoping improve, that's where everybody's eyes are, are going to kind of look first. And so, there are definitely more spots on the offense than there are on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll talk about next week. Um, but let's get to, I, I think, uh, before we get into Twitter questions and, and Facebook questions, Melissa, just tell me what is your biggest expectation for TCU's offense in 2021 uh, and your biggest hope for TCU's offense in 2021? I mean, my biggest expectation... <coughs> Sorry. You're good. (laughs) My biggest expectation for TCU's offense is that um, Max Duggan goes from the reason that TCU offense struggles to the reason that it's excelling, right? Like that, that he, he no longer becomes the the fulcrum of blame, um, but that he looks like a third year starting quarterback that has all the talent to be great. Um, My biggest hope is that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what you said at the beginning. I don't want to be sweating bullets in the fourth quarter because it's a three point game one way or the other against a team that I think we're better than. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to put up points in bunches. Um, I, I want you know Max Duggan and that offense to get the ball on the 30 yard line and expect us to score at the end of every drive. You know, like that. Mm-hmm. Like if that's all I really want. I just want this to be a competent unit that does what we expect them to do. And every once in a while does something really fun and exciting on top of that. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, I think my big expectation for this year is that Zach Evans is transformed into a legitimate number one running back. Um, I think that we know that there, that Gary Patterson is always going to put some limitations on how fast and how often this offense moves the ball quickly. Um, and I think that as long as his presence is here, we're going to see running backs get the football. Um, with the with Barlow out of the picture, um, with a reconstructed, hopefully improved offensive line in front of him, I fully expect Zach Evans to put his name on the map in 2021. My hope is vastly different. Uh, and that is that Quentin Johnson enters the picture as one of the premier wide receivers in college football. Yeah. That he is 
Josh Doxson 2.0, that he really comes out fully confident in his abilities, fully confident in his quarterback, um, and with the understanding that if you're going to stop me from doing what I do, it's going to take more than one guy on the defensive side of the football. Um, so my hope is that Quentin Johnson takes a massive step forward and is the dude on TCU's offense in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that would be, hey, that would be an awesome scenario that if you've got a one-two punch of Quentin Johnson at receiver and Zach Evans mm-hmm. at running back, then um, that offense is going to be really hard to stop. And, and I guess that we kind of take for granted the defense is just going to be good year in and year out, but I, we also have enough of a history to to believe that. I mean, if, if you tell me that TCU is going to average – 34 points a game I'm gonna think we won a lot of games yeah. you know like that's mm-hmm. and I don't think that this needs to be a 40 point offense we don't need to see 2014 numbers but um with with the defensive talent and the ability that that exists um on that side of the ball um you know 34 35 points a game is is gonna win you a lot of ball games um even against some of the really talented teams in the big 12 this year yeah I totally agree let's get into some Facebook and Twitter questions Melissa um, I we didn't get too many because we're recording a little bit earlier than normal, uh, and so not many people have had time to respond yet. But we do have a couple really good ones that I want to make sure we get to uh, before we dip out. Uh, the, we're going to start on Facebook because I once again waded into uh, the Facebook comments to pull uh, out some questions. We're going to start with Tim Brown, who asks, Why have I not heard any discussion on joining the Big Ten? So we um, covered this last week just a little bit. Um, But the reality for TCU is that they are not uh, appealing to the Big Ten simply because they are not an AAU school, which has to do with being a Tier 1 research school, uh, qualifying for a ton of grants and different monies that go into your research facilities and and the research that you're doing. Uh, TCU doesn't research at the level that the Big Ten expects from its institutions. Um, And while it might seem weird for it to be an academic disqualifier, uh, that really is going to prevent TCU from joining the Big Ten. That's the reality of, of TCU's situation at this point. The only two remaining Big 12 schools that are AAU schools are Iowa State and Kansas, which is why most of the rumors about the Big Ten poaching any schools from the Big 12 have revolved around Iowa State and Kansas. Um, and, and so that's that's kind of where we are with with that one. Yeah, it's and I just, I don't think, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, we went into Texas, we went into Texas, and I'm sure that there is, but also like Ohio State has had no issues recruiting in Texas. Michigan has done a good job of recruiting in Texas. Um, I, I think that it does add a good media market, but like you said, um, they're very, very proud of their AAU status, even though Nebraska lost it soon after joining. Um, and so I just, I don't think that, like I said earlier, I don't think that they're all that interested in taking Kansas either, um, but I don't see any situation where TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State get, <laughs> you've got your kid talking, I've got my mm-hmm. dog barking, it's life life at home. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I just, you haven't heard about it because it's not an option that's on the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, children. Uh, The next question comes from Eddie Harmon, who asks, is Gary Patterson still our guy? Other schools change coaches when they don't win conference championships. (laughs) We're already doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. it's August. It's like early August, too. Um, Yeah, like, here's the deal. Um, We've not, I mean, we've won at a really high level, um, but it's not like we're... So like I mean, this season's been bad for the last three years. I think that that's a pretty fair assessment. But who who are you going to go get? Like who who out who out there that you think is going to come in right now and regularly beat Lincoln Riley um, and and be an elite program in the Big Twelve? Like, is there somebody out there that you think is going to do a better job than Gary Patterson? Uh, yeah, I, I mean that's that's my question: is who's the pick? Who who comes yeah. in and and is the replacement? Um, you know, change just for change's sake normally doesn't work out. Yeah. It really doesn't. I, I, and, and, you know, you look at the last 10 years, TCU has the highest winning percentage of any university in the state. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we're the dregs of society over here yeah. just wandering in the swamp. We've, we've been there and we've done that, and now we're, we're in a different place as a, as a program. I think it's tough when you see a Lincoln Riley come in and do what he's done at Oklahoma, but that's also a blue blood program. And maybe it's tough when you see Matt Campbell come in with Iowa State. But look at – 
how little by little they've built that program. It's not like someone's going to come in tomorrow and turn TCU into a big 12 conference champion. Like it's going to take time. And so would you rather kind of let Gary see this thing through? Uh, He's not going to be around Mm -hmm. forever anyways, or would you rather start a four year rebuild today and still be in a worse position when realignment hits in a couple of years? Yeah, I think that's, that's the fair question. And we've seen in the last couple of years, schools money whip a big name coach into coming right just look at college station with jimbo fisher look at texas with steve sarkeesian now and obviously we don't know how the sarkeesian experiment is going to is going to turn out at texas it might be a great hire who knows it you know um but even texas a&m paying jimbo fisher a guaranteed 75 million dollars for the next 10 years or whatever it is uh i mean yeah they're rated really high they're recruiting at an incredibly high level where's their conference championship you know, they still haven't won one. And so it's not always necessarily about who is at the helm, uh, whether that's a big name or not, um, that determines your your future as a program uh, or whether you're going to win a conference championship. Ultimately, it comes down to play on the field. Uh, and there are some not big name coaches out there uh, who are doing an incredible job. Matt Campbell comes to mind uh, at Iowa State. I think he's growing into a big name coach. Um but, uh, you know, look at what he's done at ISU the last few years and tell me that um, you have to have the big name yeah. to, to lead your program to where it needs to be. Next question comes from Austin Franklin. It's kind of a long one. Any details about the reportedly six-hour meeting between Bowlesby and the Pac-12 commissioner? Could we use a scheduling alliance with the Pac-12 to allow us to move forward with the eight remaining Big 12 schools without having to add any other teams? Uh, and there's a little bit more to this question as well. More broadly, if we are still together going into 2022 and UT and OU have opted out, why couldn't we just play in an eight-team Big 12 with each team playing five non-conference games? The Southwest Conference, Big 8, SEC, and PAC all existed as eight-team conferences in the past. What keeps us from doing that? Money? Pretty much. Just money. Yeah. It's a disappointing answer for sure. Um, but it is the reality of the situation. The eight remaining teams in the Big 12 will not draw enough of a big TV contract for for it to be worth it to these universities. Yeah, um, and they can yeah. rewrite that contract the minute that Texas and OU leave. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're and, it, and it's. I mean, listen, if you guys haven't learned anything over the last week, but the fact that money is the only thing that matters mm-hmm. in college athletics, like nobody cares about winning. Winning is not yeah. the thing. Texas is not joining the SEC to win more, and they're really not joining the SEC to get more of a recruiting bump because they're already recruiting at, a, at an elite level. They're going to the SEC because it means a little bit more money, and they will take every dime that they can. Yeah. Because uh, they can. Absolutely. Our next question comes from Twitter follower Midnight Dorifto, also known as Team Radwood Love. Uh, he asks, assuming the latest re- realignment news is the actual truth and TCU goes to the Pac-12. Who is TCU's natural Pac-12 rival? Question. Um, man, I think I don't know if, if it because oh. you got to think about who else is going to join. Like, how's mm-hmm. I feel like USC and TCU are are kind of similar in some ways. That maybe that becomes a good little rivalry. Um, I also, you know, TCU's got some interesting history with Stanford over the last few years, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess it's probably Utah, right? Like it's got to be Utah. It's got to be Utah. It's yeah. got to be the Utes. I mean, former Mac, uh, former Mac, former Mountain West Conference rivals. Uh, a lot of history there between those two schools. If it wasn't Utah, I would probably lean towards Cal, yeah. solely because of the Cheez It Bowl. Um, and their need for redemption and our need to ensure that that never happens. So, uh, but yeah, number one, it's got to be Utah. It's got to be the Yeah, Utes. has to be. Um, from our very own Frogs of War associate editor, Ryan Bonnell, who is your favorite underdog slash dark horse team to reach the college football playoffs? I mean, if you look at some of the teams that have been kind of close... I don't think. I, well, first of all, let me say this: there's not there's not a non-power five team getting in the playoffs. Period. No, um, I think that that I don't know if Oregon is considered a dark horse, but I think that they could definitely make a nice run. Um, I think that that USC is going to be pretty dang loaded. 
Um, I like Cincinnati from the group of five, but there's no chance that they're making the college football playoff as a four team. So uh, TCU, I'm just going with that. Let's go with the Horned Frogs. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the line for dark horse really is. Maybe it's just outside of like the top five or six favorites uh, from like a betting odds perspective. Uh, I I can tell you what fan base and what university other than TCU I would really love to see make the college football playoffs, and that's Iowa State. Yeah. Could you imagine if the Cyclones crashed the college football playoff party? what their fan base would do to whatever town their semifinal and wherever oh the, my God. The, the national championship was. There would be no be more bush light on this planet if Iowa State made the college football playoff. And I kind of want to see that happen, even if it's at the expense of TCU. That'd be pretty great. I mean, then, <clears throat> given a choice, I would rather us make it. But oh, sure. my second, yeah, my second in command would one hundred percent be uh, would be Iowa State for sure. Plus, I just want to, I just want to be happy for Levi. You know, he'd be oh, God. They'd be sweet. They'd become unbearable on Twitter, you, though. Could you imagine terrible them, them and Parker talking to each other on Twitter after Iowa State makes a college football playoff? Parker might have to take a vacation. Um, speaking of iowa state and speaking of wide right natty light matthias from wide right natty light asks if you had to pick one big 12 team to go on a date with and then they follow you everywhere parentheses conference realignment who would you choose and why that's a good question i'm gonna let you do this one first that's a really good question look i i'm torn there are, I think, two answers. The first being Iowa State, simply because I really appreciate their fan base and uh, the friendship that we have with the Wide Right Natty Light guys. Um, that's just a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think, though, for me, it would be West Virginia. Hmm. Um, came into the Big 12 at the same time. Felt like replacement schools for big names that were departing the Big 12. Um, both kind of have a chip on their shoulder, um, have been detached from significant rivalries for a, for a set amount of time. Um, I, th- I think it'd be cool to just maintain that that play in that or that game every year with with West Virginia. Yeah, I, I would love to go to Morgantown anytime. It's a delightful place. One of my favorite college football experiences. Um, but I just like I just have this vision of like you said like. West Virginia joins the Pac-12 and has to go to Pullman every year. Like Pullman on a Tuesday, you know, like it just, it, that just feels unfair. Um, so I'm probably going with Iowa State. Ames is another great college town. I don't know if I would survive a first date with Iowa State. I cannot keep up with with the good people of uh, the good people of the Cyclones um, as far as partying and whatnot, but I would try really hard. Um, and I think that, that they would be a really fun buddy to have. Um, Oklahoma State, probably also, like, I kind of love to hate them. They, they get very, very cocky very quickly, and I find it enjoyable. Um, but I would like to make sure that we could get two wins in basketball every year. So I guess take Oklahoma State with us. <laughs> get wrecked, Cade Cunningham. Also, get paid. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that, I think, will do it for this episode of the Frogs War Podcast. I am... I am and have been and will continue to be Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Trueblosser. Yes, you can follow her on Twitter at the Coach Melissa. You can follow me at Frog Preacher. You can follow Frogs of War at Frogs of War on Twitter as well. Make sure that you're checking out all of the great content we're writing on frogswar.com, following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you can find us. Follow us and, of course, leave a rating and a review wherever you've listened to this podcast, whether that's Apple Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you consume your audio media, make sure you're leaving us a friendly review. Yeah, and you guys didn't get really excited about my sports memorabilia giveaway, but I'm still going to do it. So when we you know, get to 100, I'll give you a cool piece of old memorabilia. I'm going to start cleaning out my Texas stuff first, just FYI. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, totally not offended by that at all. It's fine. It's fine. But this has been the Frogs War Podcast. We'll be back again with you next week to preview TCU on the defensive side of the ball and take a larger look at their schedule this fall. Until then, go Frogs. Go Frogs.